0: Well, no doubt that at the center of our Christian lives is this thing we call faith. In fact, we are told you cannot be a Christian without it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's what the author of Hebrews says. The Apostle Paul puts it this way He says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Yeah, that's similar to what we heard in our Old Testament from Habakkuk this morning. A well-known verse that is even quoted three separate times in the New Testament. That's Habakkuk 2.4, that says, The righteous shall live by faith. And so faith, in case you haven't noticed, it's a it's kind of a big deal. Faith appears to be the linchpin of our life with God. I mean you remove it, and the whole structure collapses. For if anything is true to be a Christian, you got to have faith. And yet, as we all know, faith at times can feel like a fickle and fragile thing. For most Christians, sooner or later, we have these, you know, unexpected uh-oh moments. Moments that threaten our familiar ways of believing or thinking about God. Moments that threaten the, the vitality of our faith. It might be a book or a podcast that completely upends your view of God. Maybe a a, a documentary series on the secrets of the Bible revealed that, that takes a wrecking ball to everything that you were taught as a child growing up in Sunday school. Or maybe you become friends with someone who doesn't share your ideas about God or the Bible. But my goodness, they are the nicest person that you've ever met. And what they actually say makes a lot of sense. Of course, one of the greatest disruptors of our faith is experiencing the cold-hearted hand of tragedy, the senseless evil and pain that rumbles through our world while God is seemingly sitting on the sidelines. It's often during these times that your faith can't help but to take a tumble. Now, this could be caused by all sorts of different tragedies, but let's just recap a few of them that occurred on the world scene over the last few weeks, shall we? Well, first, our thoughts are currently on the massive amount of damage and loss of life that Hurricane Ian just unleashed upon Cuba and the states of Florida, South Carolina. And then, it's the Russian government that continues to escalate the war in Ukraine, drafting now civilians, you know, ripping them from their homes, their families, and their jobs, so that now there's estimated over 200,000 Russians who have left their own country so not to be enlisted. Next, I don't know if you've heard about Iran, where there are countless protests that have erupted throughout the whole country after the death of a young woman, Masa Amini, following her detainment in police custody for wearing her hijab improperly. And then finally, I mean, gee, closer to home, here in Memphis, a few weeks ago, we all grieved the murder of Eliza Fletcher, a teacher abducted while she was on an early morning jog. jog. And then just a few days later, we were horrified at at the shooting spree that left four people dead and three injured across several locations just an hour from here. And so it's happenings like these and more that can just melt your faith away. How can I continue in life believing what I believe about God when all these atrocities are as commonplace as partly cloudy skies? You know, what is my faith to do? How will it survive? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. It will not survive by pretending that everything is okay or that our questions and our doubts aren't real or even significant. Our faith will not survive by ignoring the unimaginable evils in our world. And it definitely will not survive with religious platitudes and one-liners about how everything happens for a reason, so don't worry. I mean, if anything, these kinds of responses are the quickest way to knock out our faith altogether, if not the the faith of uh, someone Uh, standing nearby no the way forward here is actually modeled for us in the book of Habakkuk who was a prophet who who looks out at the horrors of his world just as we look at ours and he turns his face to God and complains right oh Lord how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen or cry to you, there's violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at so much trouble? I wonder if these words caught you off guard when they were read aloud a moment ago. I mean, can we speak to God like this? Does our faith even allow for such irreverence? I mean, wouldn't this be a sign of a weak or, or even an absent faith? hardly. In fact, just the opposite. One of the many gifts of our Anglican Anglican tradition is the daily office, the the services of morning and evening prayer that are found in our Book of Common Prayer. And as many of you know, when we pray these offices, either alone or as a family or here at All Saints, there are always assigned scripture readings for the day, just as there are every Sunday. So that you're always reading through portions of the Bible. And of those scriptures, there's always a selection of psalms, isn't there? So that if you work through morning and evening prayer each and every day, you'll pray the entire book of psalms, that's 150 psalms, every two months. So that's six times a year. And if you do that, it doesn't take long for you to start noticing how much you are complaining to God now in your prayers something we call lament there are more lament psalms than any other type of psalm you'll discover that this is actually what a healthy faith looks like it it, it looks at god and then looks at the world and then look backs up to god and laments what it sees because god you're responsible for this world that you have made and it's a world that's in an absolute mess what are you doing how long will you continue in this way? Let me tell you, if you're not complaining to God in your prayers from time to time, then either you're not being honest with God or you're not really in touch with the pain of the world in the first place. Because lamenting to God is critical to the survival of your faith. Did you know that? To lament to God is crucial For your faith to survive. But you can't stop there, right? We just can't be complainers. Lament is not the only thing that we can do when our faith begins to wobble, when our faith feels as thin as the air we breathe. No, God, in His grace, does provide us with a vision of hope. A vision of what's to come. A vision of God putting things right once and for all. And it is a vision that we must latch onto if our feeble faith has a chance of surviving. This is what God does for Habakkuk. God strengthens his faith with a vision of what's to come. Listen to what Habakkuk says in chapter 2. He says, I will keep watch to see what the Lord will say to me and, he will, and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, write down this vision so that a runner may then read it to the people. This is actually the context for that classic verse that says the righteous shall live by faith. You know, the one that's quoted three times in the New Testament. So that living by faith is living your life according to this promised reality, according to this vision that God will do something about all the mess in this world. And ultimately, this vision is nothing less than what the entire Old Testament anticipates. It's the very climax of the biblical narrative. it's, It's Jesus, remember, reading from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue at his hometown in Nazareth. And then he sits down and declares, today, this vision is fulfilled in your hearing. And what is this vision? It's the vision of God's kingdom come to earth in the midst of his people, whom we now call the church. The kingdom of God made manifest in his people, the church. Listen, this, is, this, this bigger narrative is so important for us to remember as we approach passages like today's gospel reading from Luke 17. Why is that? Well, because I don't know if you noticed, but on the surface, what we find here in Luke 17, you know, it just kind of appears to be a string of random sayings by Jesus that really don't have anything to do with each other. As if Luke is going around collecting these odds and ends of Jesus, placing them here because, well, you know, I, you know, I had the Sermon on the Mount here and I had some parables here. I, I don't know where to put this. I'm just going to put this right here. I even noticed that the, heading, uh, that the heading of my Bible at the beginning of chapter 17 says as much. The heading says, some sayings of Jesus. Some sayings of Jesus. Are you kidding me? no. Look at it with the bigger picture here. These are kingdom teachings, instructions about how to live by faith in the reality of this new vision that Jesus is bringing. This vision that Habakkuk and the whole Old Testament anticipated and that is now finally arriving in the person of Jesus. It's a vision that when you see this vision, you can't help but to ask, how do we then live as God's people? As he is fulfilling these promises among us, how are we then to, to live by faith, right? I mean, when you think about it, that's pretty much what most all of Jesus' teachings are about. How his followers are to live by faith as God's kingdom society on earth, the church. How are we to live together as light to the world? How do we manifest the kingdom of God on earth together as his people? That's the entire Sermon on the Mount. That's the bulk of Jesus' teaching. I think this is why Jesus' teachings are always so, you know, relationally oriented. They have so much to do with how we interact with one another. Just like here in Luke chapter 17, if we were to read this, you, you see things like, well, don't cause these little ones to stumble. That's important. And be patient with them. And if your brother or sister sins against you, you need to address the issue without playing games, without getting passive-aggressive or posting something nasty on social media. No, no, no. We, we, we talk to our offending brother. We, we, we figure it out. We repent of our sins and we offer forgiveness and we do this over and over and over. Because it's in the community of the church where God's vision is coming true, where God is making all things new. Well, no wonder then, when the disciples hear this, that they respond to Jesus the way that they do. Because upon hearing this, they say, Lord, well, will then increase our faith. We're going to need more faith to live according to this new social reality. We're going to need more faith to put your words into practice, to see your vision come true on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, please, more faith. Surely, I imagine that most of us have prayed a prayer like this before. Lord, I need strengthen my faith. I need more, right? I mean, who here among us doesn't want our faith increased? What a noble request! And so we relate to the disciples' request, and so as we're reading this passage, we naturally lean in to hear what Jesus is going to say. What is He going to say to this wonderful request? And upon hearing His words, our heads drop. Huh. Our faces flush red, and we're ridden with guilt. If only you had the faith if only you had faith the size of a mustard seed. And so in shame we say, I know, I know, I'm sorry. My faith is so weak. I mean that, that's normally how we, we read the passage, right? But what if Jesus isn't scolding us or his disciples here at all? What if he's not clucking his tongue or shaking his head over our lack of faith, but instead, what if he's speaking these words with a voice of encouragement and love? You see, the Greek language basically has two different types of if clauses, if, conditional clauses, if clauses. Those clauses which express a condition contrary to fact, something like, you know, if I were to say, if I were you, well, I'm not you. You see what I'm saying? That's not true. And then those expressions that express a condition according to fact, like, uh, you know what, if Jesus is Lord, well, that is true. See what I'm saying? Well, the good news here is that the if clause in verse 6 is of the second type. So that you can translate Jesus' words this way, as if he was saying, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, which, of course, you most certainly do, right? Ah, this changes the entire mood of the exchange, doesn't it? For Jesus, then, is essentially saying, why, you don't need more faith because even the tiniest amount of faith can accomplish the impossible, and you already have that. So don't worry about increasing the quantity of your faith. Simply apply what faith you have toward one another in these relational components, right? So yes, we do need to lean in here to what Jesus is saying because Jesus is teaching us something remarkable. Jesus is teaching us that faith is about living life in a community of practices. That is, in a community that practices the ways of Jesus together. A community who turns the other cheek, who reaches out to those on the margins. A community who's accountable to each other, who forgives their enemies, who prays and cares for one another, and so on and so forth, right? You see, faith isn't about having all the answers sorted out. It's, it's not about talking yourself into affirming something that is just too intellectually difficult to, for you to believe about God or, or why there's evil in the world or something like that. That's not what faith is. When Jesus talks about faith, he's not talking about what you do with your head. He's talking about what you do with your hands and with your feet. He's talking about what you do with your wallet and your privilege, your power, your time. Faith in Jesus is not primarily about saying or thinking the right things about him, it's about following his ways in a community of practices, that is the church. My friends, this is how our feeble faith can survive in a world of confusion, a world of uncertainty, and certainly a world of tragedy. This is how our feeble faith can actually become a lively one, by first taking all our doubts, all our questions and complaints, and then presenting them to God in lament, that we are invited to do that. The Psalms invite us to say, God, I don't understand. I'm so confused. What's going on? Where are you? But then not stopping there, right? But then secondly, even if it's at the same time, our feeble faith can simply take another step toward the vision God has promised his world. A vision that has begun in the person of Jesus and that is now continued in the spirit-filled community called the church. Just taking another step in that. So that simply by practicing the ways of Jesus with others, our feeble faith won't just survive, it will begin to thrive, right? And so, friends, I ask you this morning where is your faith? How would you describe it if someone were to ask you? How strong or weak does it feel right now? Let me tell you this to whatever degree your faith feels feeble this morning, might it be the time first to express your pain and frustration to God? to be completely honest with him about how you feel, because I promise that will be good for your faith. Where else are you going to turn? And then second, might it be time for your faith to take another step deeper into the life of God's people, the people with whom God has chosen to dwell, the church, so that you might apply whatever mustard seed of a faith you have, so that you might put it into practice And participate afresh in God making good on his promises right now. Again, that will only strengthen whatever faith you have. And so yes, faith is central to what it means to be a Christian. And so let us continue to nurture our faith in these ways. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your grace and your mercy as we live in a confusing world, as we, have, as we carry and struggle with our own doubts and uncertainties, uh, we pray that we would find you a place and a person to yell at, to complain, uh, to voice uh, what, how we feel, and that in those difficult moments, uh, you would be present, you would strengthen our faith, and that even if we're in the midst of that uncertainty, I pray that by your Spirit's help, Uh, you would help us to re-engage the community of God in a deeper way so that together uh, we might uh, be a community of practices, uh, applying whatever faith that we have, putting into practice this vision that you have promised that is here and that is coming true in your church. So we pray, deepen our faith, Lord, uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.